uh, you know, managed to stay awake. Janet sat next to me, and she was poking me. But uh, it, re- it really wasn't a, a bad movie. Um, it, was de- it would have helped if I had seen the first one a little bit because there were some relational things going on I didn't quite catch right at the beginning. But, uh, you know, just like all the movies that we've looked at so far this summer, uh, there's a lot of different themes going on here, a lot of different things that we could talk about. And I hope that's something, by the way, that you picked up on, that, you know, as you're watching things and listening to things and hearing things in our culture, what I'm hoping is that, you know, you see that our culture really is asking questions and, and seeking answers. It just so happens that I believe we've got the answers. So uh, there's a lot going on here. You know, in general, the movie re- is about, you know, the kind of the star of the, the movie is Hiccup. And it's all about him, you know, whether or not he's going to embrace his destiny and, uh, you know, grow up to be the man that his dad expects him to be and to lead the Isle of Burke. And, uh, but, and so there's a lot going on. I'm not going to spoil the, the movie or what happens. But to me, what I saw when I watched the movie is that really it's a story about family. And how important somebody's family is and how our family really does mold our sense of identity and destiny and, and our character. And, and for me, the movie was about a child's relationship uh, with his mom and dad and how important that, that is. Uh, and so that's what I want us to talk about today. I, I think our culture is asking all kinds of questions today about family and looking for all kinds of answers. Um, so we're going to talk about family and parenting or Honestly, I could have just used the title as a springboard. I mean, how many of you believe that your kids, from time to time, act like fire-breathing dragons? Raise your hand. Okay, so let's train them today, okay? Come on, let's let's train these dragons. Um, Sorry, students. Your your parents raised their hands, you bunch of (laughs) dragons. Okay, so now now listen, if you're here today and you're not married or you don't have kids, uh, I do not want you to check out of this message. Because the reality is we all come from a family. I mean, we're all a part of a family, and we all need help in this area. Uh, there, there are no perfect families because there are no, what, perfect people. Um, raise your hand if you're, you come from a crazy family. Come on, a bunch of whack jobs, okay? Pretty much all of us, right? Um, now, much of who you are today has been at least shaped by your family you know there, there are some things that that now today maybe as an adult or in your own family unit some things that you've embraced and and you want to see repeated and and built you know built upon in your own family and then for many of you uh there are there's some other stuff that you reject and you know you want to change and you want to do differently and you want to start over uh, and the reality is all of us all of our families if we're going to function in a healthy way, we need huge, huge doses of love and forgiveness and grace. Now, I believe, and I think you would probably agree with me today, that in general, the family is definitely under attack today. I mean, you know, I I see the, you know, prayer requests on the connect cards. I, I see the news. I'm involved in what's happening in our culture. And what I see is that families are hemorrhaging today. And they are falling apart at at an alarming rate. Now, the problem, though, I think, at least one of the problems, is that we happen to be looking in all the wrong places today for the solution. Listen, friends, the solution for the family problem today is not going to be found in any political party. 
you know, the solution for our families today is not going to be found in the legal system. It's not even going to be found on the steps of the Supreme Court. Ultimately, the problem, it is a spiritual one. And the answer is found in Jesus. And the answer is found in his word. Now, for a while now, our country has been reeling from a, a financial recession. Uh, one of the industries hit the hardest, of course, has been the housing market. Now, the housing market, in one way or another, affects all of us. But that's especially true if you happen to find yourself a, a builder, uh, you're, a, you're a real estate agent, a contractor, a subcontractor, you know, you work in a mortgage company, a lending company, and that affects a lot of people here at our church. Now, in Charleston, it has been looking like things are on the upswing, that things have been improving. You know, in fact, over the last year or two, I've made a point to regularly ask those people involved in those different, you know, fields of the people who, who are most affected, you know, hey, have you seen any signs of improvement? What do you notice in the building market, you know, as a contractor, as a sub? What, what are you noticing? And the good news that I'm hearing is that they are steadily, slowly seeing great signs of improvement. However, how many of you would agree that there is a huge difference between a house and a home? Home building, my friend, it is at an all-time low. I, I don't think our biggest problem in America is not that, 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 that we're, you know, we're not building houses. The biggest problem we're facing today in our country, we're not building homes. And, and I'll give you one simple reason why I know that to be true. Anybody can build a house. Anybody can build a house. But only God ultimately builds a home. Only God strengthens our home. Only God can strengthen our families. Look at Psalm 127.1. Look at this passage. It's on your outline. It's on the screen. You can look it up in your Bible if you have it with you today. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is useless. Now, I think that if there is anything today that God is wanting us to get right in this life, in your day and time, other than your personal relationship with him through Jesus, it is our families. I mean, no matter what else you happen to do in this life, once you become a parent, once you are married, have a family, if you fail, if we fail in our responsibility of raising our children in God's way for God's glory, then it doesn't matter what else you might happen to be successful in, in this world. We have failed. Now, let me put all my cards on the table and, and come clean with you. Janet and I, we got two kids. They are not perfect. Uh, we are not perfect parents. Now, my son Christopher wanted you to know that he is more perfect than his sister Lydia. Okay, so let's just put that out there. Um, you can talk to them about that. Uh, but my, my, my oldest daughter, Lydia, she's 23. Christopher's 19. Now, with God's help, you know, Personally, Jan and I both, we want to continue to grow as parents. Our job is not done yet. So today, I am not going to try to bore you with a bunch of theories. Uh, the world today is full of that. The world today is full of talking heads and magazines and books and, and blogs and all of them ready to enlighten you. 
on the latest parenting craze and what you ought to be doing, what you should not be doing in raising your children. And I think some of those resources are great and are very helpful. But today I want to give you something a little bit more substantial than just the latest parenting fad or craze. I want us to press in today to the wisdom that comes from God's word and what he's got to say about parenting. What he has to say about, about families. Because listen, parenting is hard work. Amen? It is. Families, man, that, that's hard stuff. It's hard work. And if we could manage with God's help to raise our children to love the Lord, to love people, and to serve other people, and to be about the mission and the plan that God has for their life, man, you have been successful. You've done your job. So how do we do that? Well, let's look back at Psalm 127, and I want to give you some principles for godly parenting out of this passage. Here's number one. Here's the first one. Take responsibility and the initiative to guide your children spiritually. It is your job. It is your primary responsibility as a parent. You take the initiative. Take the responsibility. Guide your kids spiritually. Notice how children are described here in verse 3 of this psalm. Children are a what? A gift. They are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward for him. Now, uh, did you know the word gift there translated literally means property or possession? In other words, the kids that you've been blessed with, they, are, they have been given to you by God. And so, strictly speaking, that means that your children are really not yours. They are on loan to you from God. They belong to him ultimately. They are his property, his possession, and you and I are going to be held accountable to how we raise them. Now, what else does that mean? That means there is no such thing as an unwanted child. There is no such thing as an illegitimate child. Now, there might be accidental parents, but a child is never an accident. Maybe you needed to hear that today. God loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. You're not an accident. You're not illegitimate. Now, be sure to notice in this verse, they're also called a reward. In other words, kids are not just an accident of a one-time biological act. They're not a tax deduction. They're not an extra chair at the kitchen table. They're not a nuisance or a cramp in your lifestyle. They belong to God, and they are a reward from him. Listen to Psalm 139. Man, this is what God's word says about you today. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you because I know that full well. Your, your, uh, your works are wonderful. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's how special you are. That's how valuable you are. That's what God says about you. Now notice, Solomon goes on to make a, a, a really cool comparison in verse 4. He says, children born to a young man are like sharp what? Sharp arrows in a warrior's hand. Now, Solomon here compares kids to arrows. Um, I got one uh, this morning. I picked one up this week. Uh, a couple of things have got to be true about an arrow for it to have any, you know, for it not to be useless. 
okay? First of all, it's got to be shot in the right direction, and it's got to hit the right target. Other than that, it's, it's just a waste. And our job as parents is to make sure that from the time our children are born, that they are shot in a godly direction. And that they hit the right target. I can remember, uh, this is years ago. Now, lots of weird, freaky things, by the way, happen around here at Coastal during the week on our property. It's really kind of funny, kind of cool. Anyway, I was walking down the hallway, and I happened to look, you know, just kind of something caught my eye out one of the windows. I was looking out toward the ball field, the fence, out in our backyard here. And I saw this ginormous deer, this buck. I mean, it was like a 10, 12-point buck right there at, at our ball field. I said, when the guys were like, well, I'm going to put a tree stand up there on that. So I'm like, but anyway, so I was like, and I don't got great vision. You know, I really don't. So I got a little closer. I was like, oh, it's not a deer. It's a, uh, it's a fake deer. Somebody, somebody was in our backyard practicing bow hunting, you know, in our backyard. And so, like, I had to walk outside. And I said, hey, um, excuse me. I got... I don't think I would have to tell you this, but like, you know, this is a church, and that's a children's ball field, and there's a playground here, you know, just make sure you, you hit the target, you know, like don't, so anyway, be careful here at Coastal Community Church, um, but, but in the same way, it's important that you as a parent, that we as parents, that, you know, that we make sure that our, our kids are shot in a, in a godly direction, and they hit the target, well, what's the target? The target is they grow up to know Jesus. That they grow up to know him as their Lord and Savior. In fact, that thought right there alone ought to just remind you how precious our children really are. I mean, have you ever stopped to think that there's a long list of things that, you know, you could never take to heaven with you? I mean, you can't take, you know, your house you can't take cars, you can't take a boat, you can't take your bank account, you can't take your awards or trophies or accomplishments. But parents, listen to me for a second. You can take your children with you to heaven. And what I mean by that is not, hey, I brought you into this world, I'll take you out of this world. Okay? That's, that's not what I'm talking about that. What I'm talking about, you've heard that, right? Okay, what I'm talking about is that you and I can raise our children to love God. And to follow Jesus and to believe the gospel so that one day you can all be in heaven together. Notice this. It says, children are not just called arrows here, but arrows in a warrior's hand. Now think about that. Where does a warrior get an arrow? Now today's arrows, for the most part, usually they're not you know, made of wood. A lot of times they're made of, of aluminum or some kind of co uh, carbon fiber composite. Um, but back when Solomon wrote this, arrows came from what? What were they made of? Okay, trees, wood, every arrow just started out like a plain old stick. Well, in a way, kids are kind of like that. They're not born as arrows, you know. That our assignment as parents is to shape them, is to mold them. And, and three things are involved in that, by the way. Our kids have got to be uh, prepared, they've got to be pointed, and then they've got to be propelled. And, and, and parents, our children, that, that, that's the way it is with them. That is our assignment as, as parents, somebody once said, we, we have got to continuously set our children straight so that we can shoot them straight. How many of you realize you can't just put your kids on autopilot and just hope, you know, against all hope that they're just going to turn out okay? Listen, it is a full-time job, a full-time responsibility, and it is hands-on, all hands on deck, all the time, always. And, and, and if you get that, 
And if you are trying by God's grace to do that, doing the very best you can, listen, you, your kids are blessed. Students, if you're here today and your, your parents are doing the best they can and they're trying to point you in, in a godly direction, man, get down on your hands and knees and thank God that you've got parents like that. You know, parents who are, who are trying to make sure that you are loved. What the problem today, though, is that there are an awful lot of kids who are being launched without ever being aimed. They're, they're getting no spiritual direction. Listen to Psalm 78. We will not hide these truths from our children. He's talking about the truth of God's word. We will not hide these truths from our children, but will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. That's our job. Now listen to this. We will tell of his power. We will tell them of the mighty miracles he did. For he issued his decree to Jacob. He gave his law to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation might know them. And now listen to this. Even the children not yet born. That they in turn might teach their children. So each generation can set its hope anew on God, remembering his glorious miracles and doing what? And what's the word? Obeying his commands. Wow. There's a lot there. I hope you didn't miss this. We are not just raising our children. Parents, you are raising future generations. You know, by, by what's happening in your home today, you are teaching children not yet born. In other words, it is a ripple effect. What's he talking about? Grandchildren, great-grandchildren. You, you, are, you are building a family tree that is affecting generation after generation. So how do you do this? Let me give you some real quick three practical pointers. Number one, pursue the father. Pursue the father. Parents, here's what I mean by that. The very best thing you could do for your kids today is that you as an individual pursue your personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Listen, you can fool everybody all of the time. You can't fool God and you can't fool your kids. Pursue your relationship with God. What do I mean by that? Man, make that a priority. Think bigger than yourself. Think mission. Give away your life to God and the people that he's placed around you. Serve God by serving others. You cannot give to your kids what you yourself don't have. You can't lead people to a place you've never been or you're not going. So start there, number one. Own your relationship with the Lord and make it real. Number two, help your family, your kids see the big picture. You know, don't miss those teachable moments where you can help to show your kids, get this big God perspective on the world. Help them to see that, that, that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Teach them that there's more to life than just merely getting a good job and buying a home one day. Show them that, that we live for the kingdom here. You know, be actively involved in your church. Take ownership for your spiritual life. Number three, model, model, model. Model, model, model. Walk out the commandments of Deuteronomy 6 in your home. Listen to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. 
These commandments that I give to you today, they're to be upon your hearts, but impress them on your children. How do you do that? Listen to this. Talk about them when you sit at home. By the way, you can't do that if you're never at home. You know, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, what's he saying? He's just simply saying, hey, make it a part of your life. Throughout your everyday life as a regular routine. You know, and that has got to be started, by the way, when they are really, really, really young. By reading the Bible stories to them. Praying with them at, at bedtime. Mom and dad doing that together as they get older. Listen, as they get older, you better be sensitive to every single spiritual question they ask. And you take it seriously. And if you don't know the answer, and many, many questions we won't know, you just say, man, that's a great question. Let's figure that out. Let's find it out together. And then do it. Remember that our children are the arrows and you hold the bow. You hold the bow. And for the first few years of their lives, you are determining where they are pointing. You are determining how they are being prepared. You are determining where they are being propelled. And let me be honest with you, that responsibility is too great for you to hand over to the government, to the school system. It, it is not their job. It is your job. And if you can't do it, stop having children, okay? Listen, let me tell you something else. By the way, it's not our job either. And we'll partner with you. We'll pray for you. We'll provide you support and encouragement and teaching. You know, but it's not Miss Janet's job. I mean, we got a phenomenal student ministry. It's not Pastor Scott's job. It's yours. Own it. Number two, guide your children with loving discipline. Anybody know what these little feathers on the end of the bow are called? Somebody knew in the first circle. What did you say? Fletching. Very good. Um, you got to have these or the arrow either won't fly or definitely won't fly straight. You know, sometimes the point and the blades, uh, they get dull. They got to be honed. They got to be uh, sharpened. They got to be straightened out. The same thing is true of our children. Sometimes their feathers got to be straightened out a little bit. Parents, sometimes your feathers get ruffled. You know, sometimes their, their, their dull points need to be sharpened. Now, if you don't mind that your children don't mind, they won't mind. Okay? Now, what I realize that what I'm about to talk about for some of you is very controversial territory. Okay? I don't think it is. Uh, but I do realize that what I'm going to say this morning cuts against a lot of what some child experts or child psychologists say today, but I believe that the Bible is clear um, about disciplining children and starting early. So I'll just come out in front and say, you know, some of what I'm about to say, this is my opinion, but I will stand behind it. Now, I will point out that the old saying, spare the rod and what? Spoil the child, is not even in the Bible. Stop saying that. Okay, that's not even there, okay? You look stupid when you say that, okay? It's not found in the Bible. But, but let's talk about what is in the Bible. Your kids are like, thank you, Jesus, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> Don't worry, your time's coming. Okay, here we go. Um, this is what, what is in the Bible, Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son, 
but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. In other words, parental love is displayed through physical discipline. Proverbs 22, 15, folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. In other words, listen, as cute and wonderful as your children are and they come into this world, they are sinners, okay? They've got a sinful nature. You're like, why? Why did my child do that? They're sinful, okay? <laughs> they came from you. You're a sinner. My goodness, okay? Now, uh, back to what it said. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, I'm not talking about beating your kids, okay? Child abuse is reprehensible. It is reprehensible. Did you hear me say that? But discipline, and I believe spanking, is biblical. Listen to what God's Word said. It's so important that we get this. In fact, it says that if you don't discipline your children, two things are true about you according to God's Word. Number one, again, you really don't love them. But the other thing that it shows is you are actually participating with them in their destruction. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your children when they are young enough to learn. If you don't, you are helping them destroy themselves. Now, don't miss the first part of that verse as well. We are to discipline our children when. When did it say? When they are young enough to learn. Now, here's why. Did you know that young children, very, very young children have the ability to learn and speak more than one language. In fact, really young kids today can speak fluent, uh, perfect, Russian, Chinese, Spanish, any other language that they're exposed to at an early age with almost like flawless accents. I mean, it's amazing. But then fast forward 20, 30 years, and we try to do the same thing, and it's like pulling nails, right? I mean, you know, it's crazy. We Only people work very hard and later in life can, can do this. Research has shown why. The larynx of a young child has the ability to shape, assume the shape necessary to make whatever sounds that child is learning to use at that time. And then later on in life, it solidifies and it hardens and it makes that, those sounds almost impossible to make later in life. In other words, it's like you've got this brief window of opportunity when almost anything is possible linguistically for children, but it closes very quickly. Likewise, your child's attitude toward authority is a lot like that. They pass through this brief window of opportunity when respect, obedience, character can be instilled. But it doesn't last forever. And the older they get, it becomes more and more difficult. Now, here, this is what I believe about spanking, and I'm going to make it very practical for you. I happen to believe that spanking should be used very, very sparingly. Only, in, this, in our family, it was only used for clear, deliberate rebellion. Not age-appropriate, just, you know, craziness. It was direct disobedience. I believe that spanking is two or three swaths to their bottom because it has a lot of padding, not to any other part of their body. And again, its intent was not to do any kind of lasting physical harm. Abuse goes way beyond that. I mean, this is what cracks me up when people say that spanking is abuse. No, it's not. If it's done correctly, that's not what I'm talking about. Spanking has the intent of correcting a behavioral problem. Abuse has the intent of physical harm by violent action. I believe that spanking is generally inappropriate. 
before the age of two, maybe even three for some of our kids. And I also believe that's usually not even necessary after like six or seven. And I think it should be rarely used, if ever, after the ages of like nine or ten. It should always be a planned action. Listen to that. A planned action, not a reaction. I, I think it should only come after your child has been forewarned and taught, and the child should clearly understand why they are being spanked. Spanking should always be administered in private, never to public, publicly humiliate. You know, should never, ever be done in anger. I mean, I'm telling you, spanking was a, was a big deal at our house. You know, when you get home, you're going to get a spanking. We'd go upstairs. We'd talk about it. We'd explain it. They'd get spanked. They'd be upset. We'd go back upstairs and have a prayer time together, make sure they repented of their evil action. Okay? Like, it, it was a big deal. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, my goodness, Pastor Chris, that seems like a, hard, a lot of hard work. I'd rather just yell at my kids and swat their backside while they're running through Walmart. And that's, that's why you're a lazy parent and should never have kids. I mean, that, that, that drives me more crazy than the child's disobedience is watching parents today. Now, again, you might be wondering, and, you, and again, I've already said that, yes, we spanked our kids. Jan and I were talking about this the other day. And, uh, you know, honestly, we couldn't recall them together having gotten more than like five, you know, four or five spankings between the two of them. Now, it is, it's because of this. I'm not suggesting that spanking is the only tool in your disciplinary toolbox. In fact, there are plenty other forms of discipline that should be used first, should be used more often. You know, verbal correction, timeouts, you know, take, taking things of value away, positive reinforcement. By the way, stop counting. My goodness, that's just, you know, you're just instilling disobedience in your kids. Okay, that's all you're doing. You know, another form of, of discipline would be watch, making, forcing them to watch South Carolina football or soccer or something. You know, that's like waterboarding for kids, a torture. Anyway, uh, I got to put that in every week somehow. Anyway, okay. Um, the bottom line, I love this quote from James Dobson. Listen to this. The parent must convince themselves that discipline is not something you're doing to the child. It's something you're doing for them. The proper attitude toward a disobedient child is this. I love you too much to let you behave like that. I mean, guys, listen, our model for discipline, it comes from God himself. Hebrews 12, 6 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. He punishes those he accepts as a son. In fact, verse 8 goes on to say that if you're not disciplined by the Lord, then you're an illegitimate child and you're not a true believer. That it's a sign that you belong to God, that he loves you, that, that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, so guide your kids spiritually, uh, discipline them. Number three, guide your children emotionally. Guide your children emotionally. Let's talk about that. How do we do that? Well, and, and this one definitely, it begins early, but it's definitely something that continues on. Being relationally present in their lives. Being relationally engaged in their lives. And again, you've got to start this early. You know, when a child is two or three, because your kids pick up so much so early. 
Listen to some of these statistics. 60 to 65% of a child's working vocabulary is acquired by the age of three. 80% of their character is formed by the age of five. 90% of their personality is set by the age of seven. That, that means that you've got, again, this window of, of, of opportunity to spiritually direct your children and, and to help them to develop emotionally. You know, children should know early on that their family, their, their home, it is a safe place. It's okay to express all of their emotions. However, they should also learn and be taught that even though they can express their emotions, they're not to be led by their emotions. And let me say this, mom and dad, they're watching you. I mean, you're under surveillance 24-7. And let me say this. If you, mom or dad, if you're an emotional wreck, if you're an emotional roller coaster, why are you surprised that your children follow the same path? You know, one of the keys to your child's development is your time. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. Did you know that parents in America, according to research, spend less time with their kids than any other nation in the world? In Russia, of all places, fathers spend an average of two to three hours a day with their kids, while in our country, in a recent study, fathers spend on average less than 15 minutes a week in any serious conversation with their children. Wow. And we wonder why we're not building homes. You know, you wouldn't believe just how something so simple as a family night, every so often with your, with your family, you know, how important that is every, every once in a while. How to bond your family together, raise the happiness and the health level of your home. You know, th those, those drives, those conversations in the car. Because again, the window of opportunity for it is very short. And there's going to be, be a time when they're going to want to spend less and less time with you. And they start doing life on their own. I want to close with this passage. And man, this is really powerful stuff here. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you, listen to this, as a father deals with his own children. So this is Paul saying, okay, this is, this is how a father should be dealing with his own children. Notice these next three words. Encouraging. Comforting. Urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. Wow. Encouraging, comforting, urging. Parents, that's what we do with our kids. And dads, let me just, let me speak straight with you. That begins with you. Don't, don't pass that off. Don't neglect that. Don't think, well, I'm not relational. I'm not emotional. Hogwash. Man up. Be a real man. Love, encourage, comfort, and urge your children. Tell them every single day how much you love them. How awesome they are. What a gift they are. How amazing they are. The arrows that each of us have called your children. They're all going to be pointed somewhere. They're all going to be prepared some way. 
ultimately, every single one of our children are going to be propelled, launched in some direction. And none of us will ever do anything greater in our lives than to make sure that our children are shot in such a way that they grow up to love Jesus and follow him. And if they do that, then you have been a success. And listen, you can't take your kids to a place you've never been or to a place you're not headed. So maybe today's the day that you take that first and most important step because all of us need a power greater than ourselves to raise our families. All of us do. We all need his grace, his forgiveness, and his love. And we need his truth. And so if you need Jesus today, come home. Come home to him. And if you're trying to raise your kids and you've gotten busy with the stuff of life and you're kind of winging it and doing it on your own, recommit your lives to Jesus. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, today, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we really do have the answers that the world is uh, seeking. And and they're asking so many questions, God. Help us to point people not to the latest fad or craze, but, but directly to your word. None of us are perfect, God. We all need your grace, your forgiveness, your truth, and your power. Father, maybe there's a dad, a mom here today who has been trying to do that without your help. Because truthfully, they don't have a relationship with you. But today's the day. They want to—they want access to that power, that grace, that truth, that, that eternity in heaven. Listen, call out to God right now. It doesn't really matter the words that you say because he knows your heart. But maybe say something like this. Father, Father, today I come home. Forgive me. I, I believe, I believe that your son, Jesus, and this is so hard for me to understand or comprehend fully, but I believe that you are somehow willing to give him up, to sacrifice him for my sin. My sin put him on that cross. But your love and your power three days later rose him from the dead, and he is alive. And today I believe it, Father. I put all my trust in him and him alone, and simply I turn my back on my sin, and I turn toward Jesus. For the rest of my days, I want to follow you. Not to earn anything, not to work for anything, but simply to say thank you. Father, I pray for all the families and parents represented here today. We need your help. We need your power and strength. We also need your forgiveness when we blow it. We need your your help when when we're discouraged. Father, strengthen families here today. May we turn to your word. May we encourage and strengthen one another. We love you, Father. We pray all these things today.